During this COVID-19 pandemic, you've likely been turning on your TV more than ever before. Looking back, over 60 years ago during the 1957 influenza pandemic, it was the radio which was used to broadcast kids' programs in order to keep children inside and safe from the virus. So let's talk about broadcasting, both where it's come and where it's going. On today's Marketside Chat, join Jack Boyd, Kyle Copeland, Tom Kenny, and myself, Cord Callahan, as we sit down with Larry Wirt, a veteran TV and radio executive who shared his experiences of working for major broadcasting corporations like NBC, his perception on the evolution of media, and even his involvement in developing some major talent, including Oprah Winfrey. You're listening to the newest Marketside Chat. All right, here we are with Larry Wirt. Larry's held prominent roles over the years at 42 radio and television stations, mainly in Chicago, and we couldn't be more excited to pick his brain today. Now, Larry, we understand you're from Chicago as well. Yes, uh, that's correct. I graduated from Fenwick in 1974 mm-hmm. and worked my way up to the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Yeah. And you, uh, you were a diver at, at Fenwick in Wisconsin too, right? Yeah, I was. I was involved in all kinds of aquatics while I was at Fenwick and when I was younger, water polo, swimming, diving. And um, I was lucky enough to receive a, uh, a scholarship to go to Wisconsin. And, and I spent four years on the swimming and diving team there. And uh, it was it, that was much of my uh, goal and priority at that time. I I had a, a, a bit of a mentor in the sport by the name of Ken Sitzberger, who won a gold medal for us, the U.S., in 1964. Mm-hmm. He became my coach and helped me uh, through Fenwick. And then, you know, we had a similar, uh, like same coach in Wisconsin. He went to Indiana. Um, unfortunately for me, I didn't make the Olympic team. <laughs> um, and I moved on to a business career post-Wisconsin. Yeah, so Larry, now you've left Wisconsin, you're done with diving. Were you originally looking for a career in sports broadcasting? Yeah, so my first job uh, as I left Wisconsin, I was I met I was in the ad club and I met um, some speakers from Leo Burnett, Chicago. And I did want to come get back home if possible. And one thing led to another and I, I got my first job at Leo Burnett in the media department. And uh, while I was in the media department, I met uh, those selling broadcast time. Uh, and that's when I pivoted to the other side. And I got my first job selling media with uh, ABC TV in Los Angeles, the local affiliate there. So I moved to, I moved to California and started selling. And that was the beginning of my broadcasting career. Wow. So now you're in California. You're working for ABC. You eventually move, which I'll let you get to, but you take a job at NBC. So what was that change like for you? You know, I, I've, um, it, it, as my career evolved, I, I ended up working with all the networks um, at some point. And, um, you know, look, in the, in the 80s, there was really three networks. Fox hadn't really launched yet. There was no real cable to speak of and obviously no internet. And then you just, different media platforms evolved including the Fox, Fox Network, and, and then cable really expanded. And um, 
certainly then internet platforms came along. So um, I really was witness to, you know, this this uh, multi-platform media explosion that has caused so much fragmentation of opportunity to consume. Um, but but you know that, that first job at ABC in LA uh, exposed me to that culture, and then um, um, I in between ABC and NBC uh, took a job with one of my clients mm-hmm. here in Chicago to run a radio station called The Loop, yeah. and that led to twenty I'm sorry ten years of of a radio job that we grew that small company it's called evergreen media from two stations into 430 stations wow. and uh, we went public eventually it became a channel okay. uh, and so that's when i uh, after we sold clear channel i came back into television and took a job at nbc chicago cool yeah so you know that's kind of one of the things that we've been really interested by um, you know, in the, in the advertising space is kind of how, you know, there's been a complete paradigm shift in, in terms of the digital, digital revolution that's been occurring in the space, um, with all these different mediums coming out and in different ways to kind of get your message out there. Um, and, and I, I would also imagine that the, um, kind of, you know, work experience and like work-life balance has probably changed a lot for, um, you probably from early on in your career to later on when you moved to Evergreen Media and uh, uh, NBC Chicago. Um, did did you see anything like that, or did you did you have like a more like you know rigorous schedule early on, and then it kind of you know stayed that way, or? Yeah, I I was always pretty much all in, but. It, the the evolution of media and, and media consumption, driven by technology, mostly driven by technology, um, was just amazing. You know, it's, it continues to be today. But um, as uh, te- technology capability changed, and we went from you know recordings on tapes and tape players to CDs, and then eventually moving to uh, just a digital connectivity that that didn't need physical media, really, um, that lent itself to what's going on today, which is the term we use called OTT, over the top, and that's, that's content direct to consumers that they can get you know, just via, via internet bandwidth. Um, that evolution and the business model around it um, absolutely uh, pushed those who were in the industry to um, engage at a much higher level. Uh, I mean, the the advertiser model, which you know in the seventies and eighties and even prior, supported all programming, had had evolved more and more towards a subscription model. So the two ways you you make revenue in in media, generally advertising or subscription, and um, and you know sponsorship is part of advertising. Uh, there wasn't that much subscription at all 
um, in the 80s, cable started subscription and and cable was a, was the first to to charge um, a, uh, a actually to to get paid by a television company um, to distribute their program. Uh, ESPN was the, I'd say the biggest pioneer in doing that. Um, but boy, if you were you know, and I, as you noted, I worked for NBC and um, ABC. In historically, if you were a television station, you got paid by a network to air their shows. You got paid a a fee uh, to air CBS or ABC or NBC. If you were a station, and then in the '90s, as the cost of programming escalated, the network said, "You know what? We can't pay you anymore. You know, to be an affiliate of our programming. So you have to take our programming without getting paid." And of course, the industry. Then, as you move towards 2000, with all the other sector pressure on on all the business models. The network said, you know what? Um, our programming is too valuable. You now have to pay us to be an affiliate. So if you follow me there, it went over a couple decades from television stations got paid to air programming from networks to not getting paid to now having to pay them to be an affiliate. And um, if they say no, then they they lose the affiliation and all the programming from that network. So that's just one of the evolutions that that I experienced. Again, all driven by technology. I completely agree. And I think it's important to recognize technology as, you know, one of the, the main driving forces um, in the evolution of the media landscape today. Um, and with that being said, uh, my question for you, Larry, is do you believe podcasts have, you know, taken substantial market share from from radio over the last, you know, decade or so? Yes, I actually do. I don't think that it's taking the place of traditional radio. Um, but I think this is I mentioned the term earlier, fractionalization of audiences. Um, this is part of the continued fragmentation of of audiences and the way people consume. And, um, you know, look, 25 years ago, people had to sign up for, for programming. They had to make an appointment to watch or listen to what they wanted to watch or listen to. And now they can really program to themselves, right? They can schedule podcast consumption time whenever they want. Um, they can pick their media um, platforms and consume however they want and whenever they want. Um, and so you have more consumption of media going on than ever before by a large margin. But you have more fragmentation of that consumption than ever before. So in essence, you really have many more smaller audiences. And then you add to it that there's a multi-screen consumption going on. Like for the most part, People are, are looking at one screen while they're also looking at another, right? There's, uh, there's often television consumption going on with, uh, you know, 
with, with, with a, a smaller screen in hand. Um, and so, you know, multi-screen consumption is, is something else that's happened over the last decade as well. Podcasts in the last 24 months have really exploded. You know, really anyone can can jump in, right? The, the barrier to entry doesn't really exist. Uh, the question is, how much scale can you acquire of, of you know those who will be a consistent consumer of, of your podcast? Um, that's that's the challenge, and you know, like everything else, um, everything's relative. But um, there will be winners and losers. Yeah. So Larry, in all the time that you spent managing both radio and television, did you ever prefer one to the other? I often got that question. And I, I used to say, to some extent, radio really pushed the create, creativity boundaries, um, you know, more specifically. Um, but, but now I, I, I look back and I think that was because I was involved with a very unique talk radio environment. Um, and you look, podcast was lending itself to a talk conversation environment, uh, an engagement between you know, those talking and, and the audiences. And so it, um, the, the talk format has become more challenged in traditional radio. Most on AMs, which are over time more challenged as well. And the, the advertising support, again, that's gotten fragmented. So the traditional talk formats have, I think, um, kind, kind of, I, I don't want to say become extinct, but they have moved to other platforms like podcasting, like cable talk shows. Um, and again, there's, there's not one place to go anymore. So Larry, now that we're on the topic of talk shows, I was told that you were involved in the hiring of Oprah. Is that true? Well, I, I can't give myself too much credit. My, <laughs> one of my mentors and, and, and my boss, Dennis Swanson, um, probably the most influential person in my entire career, uh, he was actually the news director in Los Angeles when I moved out to my first job. But when he became the general manager of Channel 7 WLS in Chicago, he wanted to find a new talent. And we did a talent search. And I was um, lucky enough to be in the room one day when it came down to two individuals. And he asked everyone in the room to vote. Oprah was one of them. And then uh, a woman who's still there Janet Davies was the other, and given a bit of a split vote, you know, the, the decision was to hire both of them. <laughs> what he did, but um, you know, my I was able to be involved with the first advertising sales for her, and then when she went national in nine months, which is just unheard of, and it was just immensely successful. Um, and of course, she even even though she doesn't do the daily ta uh, television show anymore she's moved on to other platforms uh, you know O Magazine and, and her own channel um, with Discovery she's got her own cable channel and you know she's a, obviously a global brand um, but that all kicked off on a 
1984 on, on a kind of a someone taking a chance on, on a girl from Baltimore. That's very interesting, Larry. Could you maybe elaborate more on the relationship with Oprah and how that talent leveraged new opportunities for you? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I mean, I've spent a lot of my career looking for and trying to identify and then nurture talent. And um, a lot of it is subjective, you know, until it's tangibleized. But um, some of it is just giving the right person the right opportunity. Uh, and, and the right amount of support. But, but the, the Oprah relationship eventually evolved and it helped me make business deals with the likes of Dr. Phil and, and uh, you know, um, other, other shows that were spawned off of their Rachel Ray. And um, uh, just, there were shows that got launched on Oprah ended up being their own syndicated shows. And because I had an early relationship with Harpo, uh, which was, you know, her organization, I, it, it afforded some other opportunity for me and the stations I worked for, the networks I worked for down the road. But I, you know, finding talent and launching other shows was, it, that was always part of the job. You know, all, always, that, that's an ongoing thing. And, and uh, I got involved with shows like uh, you know, Donnie and Marie and um, Megan Mullally and Ellen, Steve Harvey, uh, Jane Polly was a show. Nate Burkus was a show that came out of Oprah's organization. Our City of Hall, just uh, so many different ones. Katie Couric, when she had a show for a bit. Dr. Um, Oz as well. Dr. Oz, yes. Um, Gary Connick, you know, they all towards the end of my career a bit. But the, these shows, most of them don't survive very long. So Oprah was an anomaly, no question. Ellen was probably the other, you know, show that has, has endured, um, you know, these decades. Also a, a rarity. You know, I, I think I, um, on a personal note, after all those relationships and all those years, it was Dr. Oz who was able to connect me with a doctor, a surgeon that um, may have saved my daughter's life. So, you know, you, um, it, it's amazing what can come from relationships, um, you know, that are developed when you're pioneering, you know, some of these these aspects and everyone is exposed to media. So everyone's got an opinion and a, and an experience of their own. That's really incredible. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of going off that, um, you, you talked a lot about how, you know, Dr. Oz was, um, you know, a very meaningful relationship that you've made in the field. Um, is there any other, um, you know, different people that you've worked with that, you know, you kind of were emphasized by um, in, in terms of, you know, their work ethic or, you know, how they uh, presented themselves. Like, did you have any favorites in that regard? You know, that's, um, I think in my radio career, uh, I'm actually working with some people on a documentary of that right now, The Loop. Um, and uh, in the 90s, end of the 80s, 
some of those personalities like Jonathan Brandmeier, Johnny B, Stephen Gary, Kevin Matthews, Danny Bonaducci, um, they became talk talent that that ended up becoming part of the you know uh, daily cultural topical conversation in Chicago, and uh, very proud of of um, being able to have been part of that. When I was running TV stations, um, you know, you you again talking about talent and finding people alive. I had a, a few that, uh, so many, right? But um, of note, um, just out of Chicago, uh, you know, Ginger Z, uh, found her in uh, Grand Rapids and brought her to NBC Chicago. She's now Good Morning America. Um, actually hired Don Lemon at, at one point here in Chicago, who's now got a CNN show. Um, have uh, just a, a variety of people that um, have become successful on a bigger platform, and so many locally in uh, in the market. So when I went to Tribune, we acquired stations and became the nation's largest television group. We had 43 TV stations, and so there were talent that were delivering news and information and sports in Chicago, LA, New York, I mean, like Dallas, Houston. Miami, I mean, um, and sometimes really small markets um, that I would, you know, get involved with Des Moines and Grand Rapids and, you know, um, so um, I, I'm proud of many of those relationships of, of talent that, you know, became successful, and, but also of many of the business people behind the scenes that you end up getting involved with and hiring um, I think I was fortunate with some of my mentors and then uh, able to take some of those learnings and experiences and, and help some other people with their careers. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kind of on the um, flip side of that, you know, one of the things that we, we really look into and in, in kind of doing write-ups and um, analysis on is kind of, you know, the managing and hiring of asset uh, aspect of people along with letting people go. Um, and, and we did read that. So, you know, you hired Oprah, so you, you were, or took part in hiring Oprah. So you obviously had some experience in, uh, on that side of the table. But from my understanding, we also, um, understand that you had some, uh, you know, decision role in letting Howard Stern go when you were at Evergreen Media. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At the radio chapter, uh, I I actually courted Howard for about a year to bring his show to Chicago. Yeah, and then we eventually did it. And then the government was starting to lend fines for what was viewed as indecent programming, mm-hmm. and he got some fines. And then you know my ownership said it's time to take him off the air because it was actually putting our our license to broadcast in jeopardy. Yeah, uh, so that was an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, um, I, I, when I got to NBC, I let go Jerry. I did. I, I took the Jerry Springer show off our air. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that was an experience that was more strategic. Mm-hmm. His show was getting a bit outrageous. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We thought we could make better revenue with other programming. Yeah. But it turns out I, you know, I had a long and still do relationship and friendship with Jerry Springer. He's, still on today in a court show. Yep. Um, 
but that was just a business decision at the time. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, when, when you're involved with television and radio, it's 24 seven. Yeah. And, uh, so I've, I've had my share of experiences. I, I would say good, bad, and ugly. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be a lot to, you know, be able to turn it off and turn it on you like every day in that world as well. Um, you know, with, with things happening by the hour because, because the news never does stop. Yeah. And with that, Larry, you know, I was just wondering, you know, as a former TV executive and being the face of, you know, a TV corporation, um, you know, I was really wondering what your impression was of TV and radio right now, especially with all the uh, geopolitical issues that we may be facing, you know, right now. Yeah. You know, look, I used to say that the kind of the last bastion of objective news and information was local television. And boy, there's just so much controversy, um, you know, in our country right now and the world. But when you combine um, a pandemic, um, and evolving information around that, the impact on our lives and people. Um, and then you add a very divisive political environment with it. Um, and then you add the social rest, the unrest that we are experiencing um, and the navigation of, you know, uh, just the relationship between our police departments and, and people in our country. It's a lot. You know, and um, the challenge to cover that um, is immense, and yeah. um, and to do so as objectively as possible is, is tough because real human, you know, the people who do that job are, are humans with their own experiences and views too. Yeah, um, race race has forever been, a, you know, a challenging conversation, race and religion, uh, but I would say. It's it's experiencing a peak of sorts now. Yeah. Uh, so, yep, that, for all the, you know, programmers, broadcasters uh, that are in the space now, um, it's, it's, it's a crazy challenge. Um, but I always like to say, and I learned this from one of my other bosses, you know, never waste a crisis. Never waste a crisis. There's always an opportunity in a crisis. Um so for whatever that means to different individuals, so be it. Yeah. And, you know, kind of looking into the space too now, nowadays, there's been, you know, a lot of consolidation, you know, in the radio and TV business, even with some, um, you know, some kind of, you know, unique partners, you know, you have the Disney ESPN partnership and deal that went through, um, and I know that you've been a part of a lot of um, different, you know, M and A transactions um, on the inside of it. Um, it. How how has that experience been for you, and and kind of being a part of that with, you know, a company coming into prospectively, you know, take over, and did did it ever kind of make you? you know, fear for your job in a respect uh, if they came in, or were you? kind of um, more reluctant to that aspect. Yeah. That, you know, those have all been interesting experiences and they're kind of like, no two are the totally the same because every company is a different culture, generally influenced by the top. Yeah. Um, 
but I, I've been a part of many of those types of transactions. Um, the first big one is when I worked for ABC in 1986, um, Warren Buffett loaned a small company called Capital Cities uh, $2 billion, and they bought ABC for $3.5 billion, um, which was the first big acquisition, and boy, was that a cultural shell shock, you know, when Tony David bought Goliath, and they came in, and they changed things significantly. Yeah. Um, ironically, they sold 10 years later to Disney for $18 billion. Uh, but then the, in the radio company, we, you know, we got to the over 400 stations by acquiring. So we, we bought big and small companies to get to that. And all of those, every time you, you acquire through M&A an organization, there's generally some sort of integration that has to take place. So, and they're all a little different. Um, and then when I worked for NBC, when I started, we worked, you know, we were owned by GE. When I left, we were owned by Comcast. So those are very different types of companies, too. Um, so, I, look, every every one of these, um, the employees and those affected, absolutely experienced some level of anxiety. Um, you know, because of the uncertainty of how things are going to be with the new, the new culture. Uh, but you know, look, you, you you just try and navigate with an open mind and and, and be transparent and with the goal of, of of you know making a better outcome, a better a better you know you want to you want one on one to be more than two. Uh, yeah, that's the goal anyway. But uh, yeah, no no question is these are all challenges. Yeah, so wh- one of the things that uh, you know we're really uh, invested in and interested uh, in doing at our firm is, you know, providing information on personal finance um, and, you know, how you can essentially kind of, you know, build um, wealth regardless of whether you're, you're making, you know, a million bucks or, you know, 50,000 bucks and um, kind of getting at that aspect. And obviously, you know, you've had a lot of uh, different uh, experiences in the um, media industry. And I, I would assume that probably had a lot of turnover um, for you as well. So maybe if you could kind of speak to maybe how you kind of, you know, adapted to that uh, kind of lifestyle in terms of uh, like what decisions you kind of made early on, if anyone kind of like mentored you through the process and stuff like that? Yeah, I think a lot of it for me was um, trial and error. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like every business decision has a risk reward to it. Mm-hmm. Um, quite frankly, all decisions do. And, you know, so I've had my share of um, uh, successes and failures, you know. Uh, and you always, you do, you, you, hopefully you learn from the failures. And I've made investments outside of my, um, outside of my, uh, experience yeah. lane. Uh, and like I said, some have gone well and others haven't, uh, you know, and then you've got the overall fiscal, uh, temperature. What, what is going on in the overall market? And I guess I've lived long enough to see a couple 
of the giant moments uh, that that are so impactful. Um, you know that there there was um, just throughout the decades. You, there there are those moments where uh, fear, uncertainty, uh, others' influences hit a market, and the market value just declines precipitously. And then you have to figure out, you know, how you're gonna, how you know, how you're gonna play in that space. And and there are different times in your life where you can stomach more risk. Um, and and so, um, you know, look, this is this year is a perfect example. The pandemic, when seemingly all of the financial signals are are going green and are positive, uh, knocks the knocks the overall stock market on its tail end of March and and um, even with all of the evolving financial pain from COVID, the market has recovered to above those levels. You know, it, it's fascinating and, and a lot of discussion, um, controversy around that and, and its sustainability or not. So, um, look, I, I always believe in, you know, diversify um, and, um, you know, you, I, I expect that you guys in your audience has a asset that not everyone has, which is hopefully, you know, we're, none of us are promised tomorrow, but time. And history says over time, you know, markets work their way up, but there, there are going to be defining moments up and down. Uh, it's very difficult to, to call them perfectly. So that's why, you know, balance, diversity um, is important. Uh, and that you, you I, I generally used to like the philosophy that 70% of whatever your, you know, capability is, is in a predictable place in terms of income, in terms of investment. You know, 20% can be a little bit more aggressive. Yep. And, and don't, don't live more than 10% in the moonshot. Yeah. Um, I know people who live 100% in the moonshot and they never hit the moon. Yeah. Um, and they never acquire. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously there's a venture, venture capital uh, aspect as well. Um, uh, we did some research on the 1871 startup incubator that you were a part of in Chicago. Larry, would you like to touch on that a little bit? Well, that was an amazing, you know, success. Um, and just some local entrepreneurs uh, believe that Chicago deserves uh, of the talent that we have here and, um, and make things happen entrepreneurially. And, uh, you know, now Governor Pritzker was very much involved. A mentor, uh, Howard Pullman, is involved. Um, excuse me one second. And, uh, you know, boy, they became... I think the nation's largest incubator, um, and and if you, if you ever if you didn't ever experience their laboratories and their expansion in the merchandise market, it's just amazing how many, um, you know, I, how much ideation got organized and, and launched there, and, uh, and and still does to this day. And it was it was it just needs to be a very small part of it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so yeah, we, we were really, you know, fascinated by the 1871, uh, incubator as well. We're actually, uh, like the, we're the startup members, I think at the thing. Um, so we've definitely gotten some, you know, great access through there, um, in terms of mentorship with some of the other people starting up, uh, different firms. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's an awesome place. Uh, I can definitely attest to that. Um, so I guess one of the things that, uh, we kind of wanted to ask about is, you know, your transition um, into retirement because you did retire from Tribune Corp, correct? Yeah, I well, I chose not to uh, go on um, when our company was acquired because it was obviously going to be a new owner and a new culture. Yeah. And um, I had the opportunity for the last seven years to shape and grow and lead mm-hmm. um, the company we sold. And um, I, I felt like that was a perfect stepping off spot for me. Um, so I could, I could kind of lean into some of the other companies and businesses that I was involved with or invested in yeah. and, and learn some new things instead of, um, you know, staying in the space I spent four decades. Yeah. So I, it's almost a year. I've really enjoyed it. I, yeah. I, Congrats on that. People, yeah. Done, you know, learn, learn new things. Yeah. That's great. Do you maybe want to speak about um, some of the projects that you're you're working on um, in terms of, you know, keeping yourself busy post-retire, uh, post-retirement from Tribune and uh, some of the investments that you're in? Sure. I joined a few boards. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one's in the hemp industry and uh, I've, I've joined... Um, um, I've been involved with some online gambling companies. We own a company in Tribune called Covers.com, and now uh, I've, I've been involved with some of the data companies that are going to ultimately be supporting the online gambling, gambling companies as the regulatory process opens that up. Uh, I mentioned on board of a hemp company. I'm involved with a whiskey company uh, that was launched three years ago called Uncle Nearest, and Super excited about that. It's, it's the fastest growing, most awarded whiskey in the world right now. Um, I'm involved in a home healthcare company that sends nurses out to homes when patients, you know, have needs. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, a, a few other things, but um, it, it allows me to stay um, very diversified uh, in what I'm learning about. And, I'm, it, you know, I spent a lot of years, call it on, although no two days were the same in my broadcasting career, it does become a bit of a hamster wheel at some point. And and now I'm getting a nice balance of, you know, differentiation and uh, my learning curve is, is more vertical now uh, that I'm doing new things. Also doing some programming. I'm involved with a company called CineSpace has become the nation's second largest studio and it's here in Chicago and working on some programming initiatives there. Yeah. I think that's awesome that you're able to stay involved in all these the various different things. And I believe it's really important to kind of stay engaged in, in that learning aspect on any facet of life. And that's kind of also something that we, we try to do here is never really spread ourselves too thin, but always, you know, never be afraid to try new things. So. Yeah. I think it's exciting what you guys are doing and, and, uh, you know, I, look, it's, um, there's a, a, a simple term I use 
a lot when I when I ask for any advice, and it, it's like just stay curious and follow up on your curiosity. And it sounds like that's what you guys are doing. Um, you know, trust but verify. Try some things, um, but there's so much access to information and data now more than ever for everybody. Um, that most everything out there doesn't have the same barrier to entry. So, um, so much as possible. Yeah, it certainly is. Well, it looks like we're about out of time now, Larry. I just really want to thank you for sharing with us your own experiences and your outlook on the broadcasting world around you. Um, so once again, thank you from everyone here at the studio, Larry. Sure. Sure, guys. Thanks. I appreciate you taking some time with me. Mm -hmm. uh, chatting with you and uh, wish everyone the very best of luck. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so too. much, Larry. Thanks, Larry. Okay. Take care. Take, take care. care. Take care.